Praise the Lord, everybody. I was driving home a couple of weeks ago, and in preparation for this retreat, I thought about what I would talk about a long time ago. God already placed in me to deal with matters of the heart, but that's for tomorrow. So I was wondering, what do I want to do the first night? And I couldn't really get a thought. And then one night, just driving home, it hit me. And uh, God said, talk about healing. It's something a lot of the scriptures that we're going to read through, we need to be reminded of because we talk so much about the life of Christ and what he did and where he went, the people that he healed and that he touched. And then we move on to the history of the church and everything. But sometimes in, in our course of things, we forget about how he came on the scene and manifested his power to prove who he was. And that's what I want to go back to tonight. Some elementary things about the miracles that Christ did. And how the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And he dropped in my heart that I'm desperate to heal and to perform miracles. Not the doctors, not the therapist, not the counselor. He said, I want to give people instantaneous miracles. So with that, let's get Matthew 9. And we're going to read verses 35, and then we're going to end with chapter 10, verse 1. And I'm reading from the Living Bible Translation right now. It says, Jesus traveled around through all the cities and villages of that area, teaching in the Jewish synagogues and an announcing the good news about the kingdom. And wherever he went, he healed people of every sort of illness. And what pity he felt for the crowds that came because their problems were so great and they didn't know what to do or where to go for help. They were like sheep without a shepherd. The harvest is so great and the workers are so few, he told his disciples. So pray to the one in charge of the harvesting and ask him to recruit more workers for his harvest fields. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority, chapter 10, verse 1, to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of sickness and disease. Now, let's back up in chapter 9. We're going to walk with him and follow him on this particular road trip as an evangelist. Verse number one of, of chapter nine, there's a parallel, the paralyzed man that he heals. And for this man, his illness seems to be linked to the sin that he was in. It doesn't tell us what kind of sin he was in, but sometimes our illness can be an effect of our sin. If we drop to verse number 18, we read of a rabbi a Jewish leader, one of the preachers, if you will, whose daughter was sick. Now, Matthew says that when he came to him, he told Jesus, my daughter is dead. But the other books let us to know that she was actually sick when he came to, to Jesus. And that while Jesus was, was healing other people, that the daughter died. And he got news while Jesus was doing some other healing, your daughter died. And we'll get to that in a minute. But he comes and says 
that my daughter is dead. He said, but if you come with me to my house, come to my house, and I know that you can raise her. That's faith. Verse number 20, while he's on his way to this preacher's house, this rabbi's house, all the people that are touching him, thronging him, one touch got his attention. We know her as the woman with the issue of blood. Now, this woman had been bleeding nonstop for 12 years. Now, remember, her blood is draining from her body nonstop. The Bible lets us know that the life of the flesh is in the blood. So, in essence, her life is leaving her every day. Every day you get up, life is being drained. It's being sucked out of you. That needs to be healed. To sit and do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. You do all that you can to stay healthy. The Bible says that this woman spent all that she had. Now, the Bible doesn't chide her for going to the doctor. Verse number 23, he finally arrives at the rabbi's house, but he puts everyone out and claims the girl isn't dead. Now, they just told you this, this girl is dead. He says she's not dead. She's only sleeping. You had to see it from his perspective because he's God in the flesh. And for him, there is no such thing really as death. There's only sleep. But it's interesting that when Jesus goes into this man's house to raise this girl from the dead, he put everybody else out. Except the father and the mother, because this is their only child. This is all they had. And then he took the, the, the 12 with him that he wanted to infuse this faith into, because when we get down to chapter 10 again, remember now, they're going to have to do what he's doing. He's training them what to do. They didn't just preach. Because with the compassion for souls comes the compassion for even the body. Jesus just didn't come to save our soul. He came to make us whole. He raises her without a word, simply takes her by the hand. Verse number 27, now with all of this going on, because of this, we find now two blind men in verse number 27. Now, they don't come to him calmly. The rabbi said, sir, my daughter is dead. Would you come to my house? The woman with the issue of blood didn't say a word. She just touched the hem of his garment. Now, notice here the escalation of verbal communication. You have the woman who said not a word. You have the rabbi who just speaks to him. And now you got these two blind men that just start shouting to the top of their lungs. As Jesus starts to walk through the place, there should be an escalation of, of, of our verbal communication with him. The Bible says that we are to offer him what? The fruit of our lips. That means that something's got to be said. So these two Blind men, notice what they say here. Have mercy on us, son of David. They didn't call him son of man. They didn't call him son of God. They called him son 
of David. That means that now there's, there's some royalty connected to you that I want to tap into. I'm appealing to a king in my need. In your need, you need to appeal to one that is higher, the one that is the highest in the kingdom. This is when the doctors can no longer help you. The psychiatrists can no longer prescribe enough drugs for you to take to calm your spirit. This is when the preacher can't preach hard enough in order to preach you happy. You're in a, 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 a funk that the king of kings, the Lord of lords is going to have to deal with himself. But the king doesn't deal with those of the Lord. He sends out his servants for that. N not my king. And my king has enough time on his hands to go and see about the needs of all of the people in his kingdom. Jesus wasn't so busy that he couldn't. He said, you know what? Just you go see Luke over there. I, yeah, go. Where's Peter? Peter, could you go do this for me? He made time to do it. This is why tonight we have to make time. And it's not time for you to do anything. We want to make time for him to do something on our behalf. Not because we deserve it, not because we demand it, but because we are going to tap into his compassion. He's still a God of compassion. Verse number 32, he heals. Well, there's an important question, actually, with the blind man. He says to them, do you believe that I can heal you? Now, there's another one at the pool of Bethesda. Every year, the water would trouble. And you got all these lame folk, can't walk, they diseased, they got leprosy, they got all these illnesses, but only one is healed a year. But Jesus is coming on the scene now to where he's going to give his church exponential power. That is power multiplied by itself to where it's not just one here or there, but I'm going to. Give them the power to do what I do. And because there are how many God only God knows how many saints there are throughout the world. But if we all tap into what he did, because we have the power to do it. What do you think would happen? This is why the true child of God, the true church of God is not going to suffer because of the healthcare industry. Why? Because we have power to heal. I'm not going to be somewhere pulling my hair out because Blue Cross didn't drop my policy. Now, the question is, and, and Angie and I were talking the other night, and one of the aspects of this is that we have come to the place to where we don't desire healing. Because it's come to, you know, I'm just going to live with this. Now, contentment is one thing, but a lack of desire for healing is a whole nother thing. Don't confuse the two. Don't shrug off your lack of faith with, oh, I'm just content waiting for the Lord. 
And my only out to this is either the death or the rapture. God is still right now in 2010 a healer and a miracle worker. So he asked these two, do you believe I can heal? He asked the man at the pool of Bethesda, do you even want it? Have you lost your desire for it? Are you ashamed to ask me for it? And if so, why? What child that knows his father loves him would be ashamed or fearful to ask his father for anything? Verse number 32, he heals a dumb man who couldn't speak because of a demon possessing him. The dumbness was directly associated with a demon. So we've seen an illness that was the result of a sin. We've seen death happen uh, just on a, in a uh, sudden example. We've seen folk that are just naturally have an illness of blood, an issue of blood. And now we see somebody whose illness is caused by demon possession, demon activity. This, the hidden spiritual realm at war within this person's life. And it caused conflict in the physical body. Now, anybody that tells you that the physical body doesn't mean anything has missed the whole mind of God. Because if the body didn't mean anything, the angels would never have gotten in a dispute over the body of Moses. Lucifer wanted the, his body. The devil wants your body. Why? Because he needs the body to animate what is in the heart, in the soul, in the nephesh. So without the body, the soul is not complete. Y'all catch that. Go back to Genesis and read when, when Adam became a living soul. He wasn't a living soul until he had a body with breath in it. Verse number 35 is where we come to. Jesus went on a healing tour. Despite the critics accusing him. Now, the last miracle that he worked here in verse number 32, they said this man is casting out demons under a demonic power. The devil is casting out devils. Jesus said the house divided against itself can't stand. But instead of sitting there trying to convince them who he was. He went on. To not only the cities, but the villages. Well, you know, I, I just don't, you know, we don't come from a mega church, you know. We just got a little store. It's just 20 of us. He went to the little villages. Not just the, the, the big towns, the big cities, the metropolis area. But he went into the little nooks and the crannies, the ghettos of Jerusalem and healed Everybody of every disease. Now, we don't believe that. He healed everybody of every disease everywhere he went. That means that where his presence was, there could be no flaw in his presence. Do we desire to be healed? Now, tonight we're dealing with healing on multiple stages. Some of us have illnesses in our body. We have disease. Some of us have sick souls, hatred, envy, and strife. 
Some of us have stuff that we just can't let go of. The hurt is too deep in order to, to let it go. I, I can't get past what they did to me. I can't get past how my mother treat, how my father, what he did to me, what my uncle did to me. I can't get past that. And whether you know it or not, all of that has an effect on your relationship with God. Like she said earlier, you, you, you start to blame God. Why did you let this happen? And why did you let that happen? And you said you wouldn't let none of this stuff come upon me. Now, we got to be real. We can stand up and say, I believe God. I'm a man full of faith. I got faith. I trust in the Lord. But the fact of the matter is he's given us power. But he's standing in the back saying, why don't you use it? See, there's one thing about power. You drive through the street, you see all these poles and you see the, the uh, wires that Edison has run through the city. The one interesting thing about power is it can't be harnessed. It goes and once it's out, it can't come back. He designed it that way because it reflects his word. Once the word goes out, it, 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 it's got to go somewhere. Power, they don't store power. Power is created on a consistent basis. But you, you have to tap into it. You have to have the right receiver. You have to have the, the, the right fuse box. You have to have the right AC adapter. And power has to come in a way that it's receivable by you without killing yourself. Jesus is giving his disciples the power that created the universe. And I have a friend that says, oh, if you want to believe in the Big Bang Theory, that's fine. But my question is to you, who caused it to go bang? <laughs> We're not saying that there wasn't a Big Bang. He, it might have been when he said, let it probably banged. But he's given us the power that created that and placed it in you. And he's telling them, come on, learn, go in here with this dead body with me so I can show you how to raise it. Come with me so I can show you how to cast this demon out. It's not enough demon casting for, for me around this. Los Angeles? Los Angeles. How much of it is going on? It's time for our spiritual side to be awakened. I'm glad you can speak in tongues, but that don't mean much. Right, we're going to get to the church of Corinth in a minute because they spoke in tongues a lot, too. In fact, they spoke so much that Paul had to rebuke them. He had to rebuke them because they weren't using the power of the rest of the gifts. You speaking in tongues, but you got a church full of folks speaking in tongues, but nobody's getting healed. So through chapter nine, we see here he healed every sort of illness. Every sickness and every disease among the people. He dealt with three things here. Chapter 9, 
Number one was broken homes. The death of this girl, this, this only child, death can wreak havoc in a family. It can tear your house up. The grief that grips your heart can cause your home to be broken. I'm a witness. Number two, he dealt with broken hope. He dealt with a woman who for 12 years, her life drained from her. Doctors couldn't do nothing. Physicians couldn't do anything. Prayer line didn't help. Because she wasn't finding the right power. Her hope was probably gone. You have this rabbi who had a little hope when he came to Jesus because she wasn't dead. She was sick. So there's a little hope that the sick can be healed. But when he got word, like Martha and Mary, when Lazarus died, it said, the Lord, we told you four days ago, we sent word. Come on, the man is dying. If you come, you can heal him. But now that you're here now, there's nothing you can do because he's dead. But the rabbi had a little more sense than that because he didn't stop. Once his servant came and said, your daughter's dead, he could have turned around and said, that's all right, Lord. You don't have to come. You, you just go on over here and tend to the woman with the issue of blood because it's too late. There's no more hope for my case right now. My case is buried. We're going to plan the funeral for my case. I used to say that I'm waiting on the deliverance of God and, you know, I'm rejoicing while I wait. I'm a shout while I wait. I'm a praise while I wait. And then after a while, it's like, oh, Lord, it's been two years. And, and uh, once I was shouting because of my hope, but now I'm just shouting try, to try to get some hope and my faith now is going out the drain. And now I'm, 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 I am actually tying God's hands once I start losing my faith because without faith, it's impossible to please him. And he can't answer to anything without faith. So broken hope he deals with. And lastly, he deals with broken bodies, broken homes, broken hope, broken bodies. Third John Verse number two says, we're the best of friends, and I pray for good fortune in everything you do and for your good health, that your everyday affairs prosper as well as your soul. So now the body and the intellect and the mind and the, the pattern of thinking comes into play, and it is linked to the estate of my soul. However my soul fares, that's the way the rest of my man is going to fare. Why do you think... Stress is killing people. You don't think you could think yourself to death? Sitting there thinking about your problems will kill you after a while. Psalm 103. It says, oh, my soul, bless God from head to toe. I'll bless his holy name. Then he says, oh, my soul, bless God and don't forget a single blessing. He forgives your sins, everyone, and he heals your diseases, 
everyone. That's from the message translation. Now, the psalmist is talking to his soul, but he tells his soul that God has delivered your diseases. Every one of them. Not only has he forgiven all of your sins, but he's healed all of your diseases. Now, I don't know where the church disconnected these two and became very comfortable with having my soul saved, but not being healed. Now, when the scriptures tell me this, it's because we've gotten to a place where we don't desire. Lord, I'm just I'm waiting for a man. That's what I need. I, I, I need a man. To put me in the anointing. When the anointing hits the water, I need a man to put me in the water. Lord, I, I have no man. I want to be healed, but I have no man. He said, you don't want to be healed. The soul blesses God for all the benefits reaped on it. And the soul here is depicted as the entire man. The physical elements have an impact on the spiritual and vice versa. Now, it's good and dandy that Christ went through all every village and every city healing everybody. But then he tells them and he turns to them in the midst of all of this healing and, and, and folk getting demons casted out of them and sins being forgiven in the midst of healing. Then he turns to them and says... This is a sad state I'm looking at. I'm looking at a group of people who's wandering about as if they don't have anybody to help them in the time of need. Then he turns to the 12 and says, now you're in training. You need to pray for God to realize that this, there's a lot of stuff for the church to be doing. It's a lot of healing that needs to be done. See, we only focus on have you been down in Jesus' name? And you must. Have you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost? And you must. But we stop there, and he's saying that there's three things that he did here. He preached the good news, and he healed them, and he also taught in the synagogues. Teaching, healing, and kingdom work. We must have all three. So he wants help. All things are created by him and for him. He made these bodies that he was healing, but he wanted to impart the power to us as his laborers. So Mark 16, and we like this because we like the part where it says they shall speak in new tongues. And he told them, you are to go into all the world and preach the good news. Number one, there's preaching. Those who believe and are baptized will be saved. But those who refuse to believe will be condemned. Now, somebody will argue the point. Well, see there, he didn't say that he that believeth not and doesn't be baptized. But there's no need to say that because if you don't believe, why would you get baptized in the first place? All right. And those who believe shall use my authority to cast out demons and they shall speak with new tongues. They will be able to handle snakes with safety and if they drink any poisonous anything poisonous it won't hurt them and they will be able to place their hands on the sick and heal them is he not telling us that when the holy ghost comes he's going to give you the same three areas of ministry that i'm doing now in every village in every city but we've dropped the other two 
We like the one part of the ministry. And we say, man, 15 souls went down and 20 were filled with the Holy Ghost. And that's good. But we must not neglect. You know why? Because when we don't use our power, that sends people into frustration with God. When somebody needs deliverance in a certain area beyond salvation, God is given the power of his church to perform healings and miracles. And when we don't operate in that confusion and frustration comes and God is the one that gets blamed for that in the end. Well, Lord, I guess you just want me to be sick. It's the Lord's will. This is not to say that there will never be illness in times of, of, uh, that you have to go through. But I'm saying that we are not seeing nearly what God has planted in his church. So there's always work and improvement for us to, if you don't think you need improvement, then that's good. Maybe you could come help me. <laughs> and I'm not saying that. To, I'm very serious about that. Because we're all at different stages, various areas of our life. And I'm not saying that to be facetious. So he says, they'll lay hands on the sick. And when the Lord Jesus has finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down at God's right hand. Now, the Bible says <laughs> that he wants his enemies at his footstool, right? Now, when Jesus died on the cross, he said it is finished. He took the keys of hell and death from the devil. The devil no longer has his own keys. It's his kingdom, but he don't have the keys to it. That means he can't lock nobody up no more. And he can't set them free. It's not in Satan's power to bind you or to let you go. It's in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now if you say that, okay, that means he got the victory. But another scripture, I believe it's in Hebrew, says that now he's sitting and he's making intercession for the church and he's waiting for his enemies to become his footstool. Well, I thought he already had the power. Remember, he gave you the power to finish the work that he started. So the stuff that he's waiting to be laid down is from us. Those that have pornography addiction, he's waiting for that spirit to be laid at his feet and left there. Not, Lord, you can have this tonight, but I'm going to pick it back up tomorrow night. Alcoholism, where you just got to drink yourself into a stupor all the time, he's waiting for that to be laid at his feet. So we're in a position now to where every day we got to start laying stuff there and leaving it. The problem is we just show it to him. See, Lord, do you see what I'm giving you? <laughs> He's waiting for his enemies to become his footstool. You're the enemies that are in you. Not the enemies that are fighting you. The enemies that are in you. His enemies that are in you. He's waiting to be laid at his feet. That's pride selfishness, envy, hatred, lasciviousness, fornication, whatever it may be, he's waiting for that to be laid at his feet. Okay, that was a sidebar. Okay, so after he tells them this, 
And the disciples went everywhere preaching, and the Lord was with them and confirmed what they said by the miracles that followed their message. My question is, what confirmation do we have? The people that he anointed and gave power and authority to, he says, I'm going to work with them and I'm going to show them that I'm with them. So what is it that Christ wants? Not necessarily needs, but he wants our help with. Teaching and preaching, healing and deliverance, and showing compassion. This is what we see him doing in Matthew chapter 9. Teaching and preaching, healing and deliverance, showing compassion. The pity of God. What moved him to pity? It says that they were destitute. That means that they were vexed and that the people were wearied. Their hearts had fainted. And the cloak, actually, the, the word that he says, I believe it's in verse number 37, no, 36. And what pity he felt on the crowds that came because their problems were so great and that they didn't know what to do or where to go. For they were like sheep without a shepherd. Actually, a better word would be that they were harassed. It's a harassing experience to have to go through life and feel that God don't hear you and God don't really want to bring you out of the situation that you're in. I'm talking real tonight, you know. Because uh, I, I will confess there's been times where my faith wasn't where it needed to be. Probably more often than not. Then they said they were they strayed. They were loose from one another. Sheep, the sheep were scattered. Not only were they disheartened, but they, they, they started to scatter. The Bible tells you about when when Israel and Judah split apart. That broke God's heart. To see his kingdom have to split. And then he says, they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. They were lying about, abandoned. I want you to picture sheep where all of their, their dependency is upon the shepherd. They don't know where to go. They don't know where the water is. They don't know where the danger is. So, so they just roaming about, liable to be eaten up by anything, liable to, to starve to death, liable to die without water, become famished because they have no shepherd. Now, the shepherd, Moses says that in the last days, God is going to raise up a shepherd like unto me. Hear ye him, not them. So the, the shepherd that Moses was talking about was not a pastorate. It was a lordship. Hear ye him. Now, Moses had... His birth was a mystery. His death was a mystery. And the way that God dealt with him with the deliverance of the people was just nothing short of just God ordained. That's Jesus. That is a type of Jesus whose death, whose birth was a mystery. Death, uh, death was a mystery. And all in between, you see him working the miracles of God. The purpose for healing is, is fourfold. Number one, healing comes from God's compassion. I don't want any of us to think that God owes you anything. 
well, Lord, I, I did this, that, and the other, so you, you got to heal me. That's not where I'm coming from. He's a God of compassion. Number two, it's God's seal of, of approval upon his servants. He confirms his true saints by displaying his power in their lives. Number three, it is a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Natalie just dealt with that. The broken heart and a contrite spirit. And number four, it is for him to receive the glory. It ain't so, oh man, we, we laid hands in 20 folk, got raised from the dead. It's all about him. And whatever situation he performs a miracle in, it is because he wants to get the glory. He wants to get the glory out of the one being healed. He wants to get the glory out of the ones witnessing the healing. And he wants to get the glory out of the servant that he used to bring about the healing. John 14 says, verse number 11, believe me. Turn to somebody and say, believe him. him. Please believe him. I am in my father and my father is in me. If you can't believe that, believe what you see, these works. So the works that I do testify to the fact that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. He said, either you can straight out believe me or you can experience my power and believe me. But they're equal. In his sight, either believe one or the other. The person who trusts me will not only do what I'm doing, but even greater things. Because I... On my way to the Father, I'm giving you the same work to do that I have been doing. You can count on it. From now on, whatever you request along the lines of who I am. So when we say in Jesus' name, that's just not a phrase. Sometimes we get mixed up that it's just a phrase in the name of Jesus. It's more in the lines of now name represents who somebody is. So according to who God is, we're praying for healing for you. According to who God is, I'm going to ask him to do A, B, C, and D because that's who he is. But it's in the, along the lines of who he is and what he's doing. And he says, if you ask in that vein, he says, there's nothing I won't do. Now, my question is, is God still a healer and does he still want to heal? Because if he is, then there must be a disconnect of why we're not healing in the name and according to who he is and what he's doing. That's how the father will be seen for who he is in the son. And then he says, I mean it. (laughs) Whatever you request in this way, I'll do. So if you, you can read this when you get home or in your own time, but read through 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one of manifestation, the spirit is given for common good. To one there is given through the spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of the knowledge by means of the same spirit. Verse 9 is the one I want to pick up. To another, faith by the same spirit. And to another, 
gifts of healing by that one spirit in verse 10 to another miraculous powers to another prophecy. The two that I want to pick up and it's amazing here because even in the Greek gifts is plural. Remember that he healed all kinds of diseases. So he has placed in the church folk that know how to heal the mental mind. Folks that can lay hands on and, and address the cancer, the diabetes. There's all kind of sicknesses out there. Sickness in the spirit. And then he couples that gift with the gift of discernment to know that there's a bitterness in you that God wants to release you from. There's rage in you that God wants to let out and, and, and to abolish and to allow his anointing to destroy don't think that just because you got saved and got wet in the water and Ikamahan and he's coming in a Honda, that everything in you was fixed instantaneously. You got access to the throne. But throughout life, you gonna, God's going to set you up with divine appointments and say, I'm taking that out now. Two months later, the Lord sent somebody away. The Lord told me to tell you. <laughs> he knows how to set you up. That's not to say that we're not saved, we're not really whole, but God still wants to heal in some areas. Now, we only deal with these, but, and I'm, I'm finished, but the gifts, Paul names them not only here in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, and then verse 28. But he also deals with it in Ephesians 4, where we deal with the fivefold ministry. And then he deals with it again in chapter 12. But once you put all of those together, there's a list of about 19 gifts within the body that he wants operating. And the Corinthian church, because in that time, speaking in tongues and blabbering in an unknown language, at that time, even in pagan circles, meant that you were in connection with a deity. So the Corinthian church, was, it was a metropolitan city. It was huge for its day. It was like the Los Angeles of that time. So you got these people that meant, oh, they must be spiritual. They speak in tongues. And so in their meeting, all they would do is just come and speak until nobody would get edified, nobody would preach, nobody would teach, nobody get healed, nobody... Everything was selfish because the Bible says that he that's speaking in tongues edifieth himself. And when you come together, it ain't about edifying yourself. It's about edifying one another. So what I want to see in this church that I built and that I preached out is you edifying your brother and your sister. That means use the gift that God gave you. Y'all sitting up here talking about who's the who the best preacher is. That was Corinth's problem. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm Paul, you know, Paul, that he could just preach the way he hoops. Well, somebody, no, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a Cephas. I'm a Peter, you know, because Peter, he's the chief apostle. He came on the scene before Paul. So y'all can have Paul. We got the, we got the head man here. You don't think we do it today? I'm not going because so-and-so is preaching. You don't know what you might miss. I was, uh, I was at the Grove one day. We walk in mind in our business. We met a friend for lunch. 
And uh, we're walking through the grove. It's me and my wife, a friend, my, uh, I don't know if I have my, I'm a, I had Talia with us. And this woman comes up to me and she says, I've never seen this woman in my life. Now you got the grove is packed. There's folk walking all over the place. She wasn't with anybody. She wasn't talking to anybody. She didn't seem crazy. She like nice, well put together, nice salt and pepper hair. And she, she didn't even hardly stop. She walked past me and said, God's calling for you to take a stand of power in the church. And kept going. And I couldn't shrug it off because I got my wife witnessing it. Then I got my, <laughs> the friend we met for lunch there. And we had been talking about the same kind of thing. See, but God knows how to send you a word. That was a word of wisdom. That was God using the word of wisdom in another person that I had never met. Confirming something in me. So in this place tonight, I know that some have dropped off. But you know that when Paul and them prayed, I think they said it was around midnight that the deliverance came. I don't know what time they started singing and, and praising. It doesn't tell us. But it does say that around midnight, once they went in so far, that the Lord shook in her. And it, like Jesus, not only did it loose him, but it loosed those that were around them. And I believe it was Riley that said that your praise is connected to somebody else's deliverance. And even they realized that this is the power of God. This is no normal earthquake. It is the power of God that will stop a criminal from escaping from prison. They were criminals, not Paul and Silas. The other prisoners were criminals. You know, they would have ran. I probably would have ran. I would have said, oh, the Lord delivered me from prison. But what God was doing in the prisoners, those that were bound, those that were wayward, was preparing their ear to hear what Paul had to say. And he confirmed it and kicked it off with a miracle of deliverance. I didn't, when I left the house, I said, I'm forgetting something. I know I'm forgetting something. I have all my cables. I got my computer. got my notes. got my, and I left my oil. But God don't need oil to heal. But I know mama got some oil. <laughs> I know. I knew it. Because she believed in miracles and healing. And the Bible says that the anointing oil is a representation of God's presence that flows. Yes. But the anointing oil basically represents the anointing that is going to destroy the yoke. There's nothing miraculous about the oil itself, but it's more in the fact that the, the natural olive oil, the way the oil was extracted from the olive, that is representative of the healing. It represents how God's body was broken because they don't crush an olive to get the juice. They lacerate it like the back of Jesus was lacerated and his blood came out of his back. That's the way oil is extracted from the olive. They allow the, the, the oil to drip from it. And tonight, God wants to drip his anointing in this place and 
deal with some things, some hurts, some issues, some pains, some struggles, some illnesses, some sicknesses, that when you leave this place, it won't be because the doctors prescribed a certain medication for you, but it will be because God touched you. Now, the woman that touched the hem of his garment, the hem of his garment was a tassel that the Jewish people wore. But the Pharisees, and it represented their covenant with God to let them know that they were God's people. But look what the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes did. They made their tassels big so they could, you know, their outer garment prove, you know, this, I'm God's man. But they made their tassels bigger to try to prove that they were that much more spiritual. But tonight I'm not coming with tassels. Ain't no tassels in this place. And it's not even about a messenger. It's about compassion. That God wants to show some miracles in his body. Because that's what he does. And that's who he is. Jesus Christ is saying, yesterday today and from and if he hasn't now if you read some theologians about healing and signs and miracles most of them will tell you that it was only for the first century church like speaking in tongues they say that's all played out and gone and if you the problem probably in most pulpits today and why we still don't pray for the sick like we should cast out demons like we should work in miracles like we should is because they believed these unregenerated theologians who said that that's off the scene. But I'm sitting here as a witness. I've seen God heal. I've seen God deliver miraculously. I've seen demons cast it out because we commanded them to go in the name of Jesus because that's who God is and that's what God does. He's here to heal you.